Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine. And with me today, back from being on the road, is... Retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli. Good morning, Joe. How are you today? Doing well. Hey, uh, before we dive into all these, we, we've got six different stories I think we're talking about today that are law enforcement specific. I wanted to mention that um, as we record this, so as we record it, it's Friday, June 30th, on the 29th, yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that race-based standards for college admissions are unconstitutional. Uh, so race can't be taken into consideration when determining uh, admissions for college. And I'm waiting now. I'm wondering where that's going to go uh, when it comes to hiring standards, because uh, so many um, government grants and, and other programs depend on you being able to say an agency being able to say, you know, we have 10 percent minority um, or whatever the other requirements or, or uh, mm-hmm. goals or standards might be. And now that they're saying anything race based for admissions is unconstitutional. I wonder how long it's going to take that to trickle down. Uh, into law enforcement and other government hiring so that race is no longer consideration. Um, and to be honest, I think it's a good move at, at the risk of sounding racist. I think when we focus on hiring people based on race and rather than based on capability, I think it ultimately hurts us. I think we need to go back to the day where the standards are the standards. Uh, it has nothing to do with your gender, the color of your skin or your religion. Um, you know, can, can you, can you meet the standard? Can you do the job? And if you can, then you get hired. And if you can't, then you don't. And, and nobody can, I mean, people still sue for racial bias, but at least at that point, it's not a government mandate. Anyway, wanted, wanted to mention it. I thought that was of interest. No, yeah, that's something we'll have to keep an eye on and uh, we'll watch as it, as it goes along. Um, as you said, we've got a packed episode, so let's get started. Uh, first story uh, in Texas. A grand jury cleared the Allen police officer who uh, rushed and confronted a gunman who opened fire in May um, at an outlet mall, killing eight people and wounding several others. Uh, On the same day that the grand jury had uh, released its decision, um, the police department released the first uh, body camera footage uh, from that uh, uh, day and from the officer um what's very uh, what's fascinating to watch is that we've seen in these body camera uh uh this footage before of showing the the confrontation with uh with suspects but in this case you see the moments leading up where the officer it appears is is talking with a woman and, and two children and um a friendly interaction and then you see where that is broken up by the sounds of gunfire and the officer immediately grabbing his rifle and uh beginning to uh establish radio contact um to get an idea of what was going on and also to relay the information and and then you see uh the events unfold um uh, again go ahead i'm sorry i think it's interesting joe so if you look at the story the story's up on our site um and and the and the video is available uh we should say just because we have to say it i guess that uh you know there the anybody's a civilian 
their faces blurred out. Any of the victims, obviously, their faces blurred out. Um, I'm going to make two observations here that, that really uh, I think are disturbing to me. Number one, uh, the shooter, Mauricio Garcia, killed eight people and wounded seven more. And um, the uh, the officer involved uh, stopped the attack. The, the article says less than four minutes after it began. So let's 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 use four minutes. That's 240 seconds. And the shooter shot 15 people. That's an average of a victim, one victim every 16 seconds. Uh, four a minute. That's about what we're seeing uh, in other shootings as well. Um, and this is why I'm such a huge proponent of uh, trained uh, non-uniform people, the immediate responder engaging the shooters. Uh, and yeah, I'm talking about retired cops. I'm talking about people with a, a permit to conceal carry. I'm talking about off-duty officers where where we see uh, active shooter events and we have to wait for the police to arrive. Um, usually we're seeing about a seven minute response time and we're seeing, I hate to say this, an average of 40 people shot, four zero. Whereas if the shooter is engaged by somebody who's already on the scene, an immediate responder, it's less than a minute. It's usually less than five um victims so i think that's a huge thing to point out and then number two it's ridiculous to me absolutely I mean, I, everybody's got to go to the policies everybody's got procedures everybody has to jump through these hoops it is ridiculous to me that you have a police officer who all the info he had to be cleared by the grand jury to say that yeah what he did was actually justified um some, sometimes i think we're just wasting taxpayers dollars uh, and, and I know this is about impartiality. It's about following the letter of the law. It's about making sure we treat everybody the same level of justice and all that. But I mean, you got an officer who engages and shoots a criminal who shot 15 people. And then we're going to make through the, the officer go through the, the, the challenge of going in front of a grand jury to decide whether or not what he did was actually what he should have done. If the grand jury had said anything else beyond good job, thank you for being there, that officer would really have to consider his future in law enforcement. And that that's a sad thought. But anyway, my two observations for you on a Friday morning. And I might be a little grumpy because I need more coffee, but <laughs> I think that's where we're going. And this body camera footage, um, along with just details from the police report, is, has been really the only thing we've heard, too, because... Um, it's interesting to note the officer has refused um, interview requests um, and has uh, had his lawyer basically say, "Look, hey, I'm I'm processing this. I'm dealing with this. Give me, I, I need I need this space." Um, yep. And it just again shows you um, the toll these types of incidents can have, even on those who who haven't been wounded or shot. Well, I mean, this officer did exactly what he needed to do. He fulfilled mm -hmm. all of his obligations and his oath of office and the whole nine yards. But that doesn't mean he's not feeling the emotional impact of having taken a human life. And people forget that right. all the time. He's he does. He needs to process this. Yes, he needs to come to terms with it. Um, my heart goes out to him, but so is my appreciation. Yes. Next story. Uh, another piece of chilling uh, body camera footage. Um, this is out of Albion, Michigan. Um, police had received a nine one a frantic nine one one call from a fifteen year old, old girl and responded to uh, a home where they kicked down the door after hearing screams and as they went through the house, uh, found a mother 
drowning her two-year-old child in the bathtub immediately uh they got the 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 girl out of the tub and began performing cpr and were able to revive her um she was the girl was found with stab wounds um there was another child believe four years old who was also found with stab wounds um they also it was also believed that they might have ingested cleaning fluid um just uh just sickening and but again you see the response and um the quick actions from officers basically going into this horror to um to save lives you know i'm not politically correct we all know that anybody listening to the podcast my name is frank borelli i'm not politically correct um this is the kind of evil that police officers have to deal with day to day across our country. And there is just no other way to describe a mother who's trying to murder her children. Uh, I don't care what kind of excuse anybody wants to make for her. I don't care what kind of drugs she might've ingested. I don't care if she had a traumatic childhood. She gets my sympathy. She doesn't get my forgiveness for what she's doing. This is pure evil. Um, I'm glad these officers could save this, these, these kids, they could intervene and, 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 Take the actions necessary. They should be commended for that. Um, the, just, just like the officer we talked about in Texas that shoots somebody and neutralizes a shooter and saves lives, these officers, um, there's a trauma involved with seeing a child abused, um, injured, a mother trying to discard them. And and they need to come to terms with that. That's 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 almost in its own way harder to deal with than taking out a bad guy. Um, and it's not one of those. It's one of those things they talk about in the academy. But until you're there and you're in the moment and, and you're seeing the reality of it, it's um it's it's not something that you can really comprehend the impact of. Um, there's a reason I got, I got invited to work on a, a child abuse task force, and I said no. Uh, and, and the lead detective's like, why don't you think you'd be good at it? I mean, I'd be great at it, but I'd kill people instead of arresting them because that's not how you treat children. Um, so that, that just wasn't my way to go. I, I tip my hat to these officers. I feel bad for these children. I hope they recover. And I hope that mother rots in jail until she's on her way to hell. And my my dad, when he was working uh, as, a, as an agent, an ATF agent, uh, that was bar none, the worst cases he would ever have to deal with would be any that uh, had a child that was hurt or yep. or in jeopardy, jeopardy. That just um, tore him up the most, more than anything else. Yeah. Um, moving on to our next story, uh, it's it's a rescue story and it, it's a, a little more upbeat than the last two that we've talked about. Uh, in Clifton, New Jersey, two firefighters uh, had gone out to um, on a boat uh, to save stranded construction workers on uh, fast-moving Passaic River. Um, during the rescue, their the firefighters' boat uh, ended up uh, going over the falls and becoming submerged. And these two firefighters were pretty much on this island uh, of. of half sunk boat um in the middle of the river and um knew that they couldn't go into the water because it was fast moving and that would be the end uh luckily there had uh a new jersey state uh 
police, police helicopter. helicopter was overhead or it was in the area and able to come in and they were able uh troopers were able to uh go in and hoist the firefighters after a few tries uh off their boat and to dry land in safety um again shows you the di- all the different uh skills and uh, uh situations that uh, law enforcement officers get plunged into each day i i like this story for one reason because i love yeah. every, everybody listening again <laughs> i spent 11 years as a volunteer firefighter okay i tip my hat to firefighters because fire is a force of nature and it's eventually going to win and they deal with so much more than just firefighting i honestly i tip my hat to them but by the same token just like you have veteran law where i was in the army i got to give people who are in the navy crap they're firefighters, guys, and they needed heroes. They had to be saved by the police. So now that you have two firefighters for the rest of their career, they have to admit they were saved by the police. And I, I just think that's awesome. I, I, it's one of those things I would tease them with unendingly as we argued about who was going to pay for the drinks in the bar. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad the police were there. I'm glad that helicopter was glad to help them out. Uh, you know, they they were doing great work and then they needed a little bit of help and the police were able to help them out. And yes, I will joke about it, but they will never live it down. And that's awesome. We're going to stick with water rescues um, with our next story. This is a, a little unique, uh, unusual uh, deputy earlier um, this year, um, a deputy from Pinellas County, Pinellas County in Florida. Um had helped save the life of a manatee um while on patrol she had seen the manatee um in uh, near the uh treasure island causeway and this is around the saint petersburg tampa area um that the manatee was in distress she had contacted wildlife officials who had um talked about a uh, what is it, like a a type of uh seaweed or um vegetation that causes paralysis in the manatees um and the, the manatee she was seeing was drowning so what did the deputy do jumped in the water and for two hours kept the manatees head above water so that it could breathe long enough for wildlife officials to reach uh the area and uh, be able to rescue, rescue. yeah um, um I, I love the fact that we're showing the side of law enforcement that rescues not only people but animals uh and recognizes when this animal's in distress i don't know joe you know, i don't know if you've ever been near a manatee I, I i myself am a scuba diver and the first time i saw a manatee i was underneath of it it was i was about 30 feet down and it was swimming past me so all i really saw was a shadow and i looked up and i saw this huge animal because it's you know, 20 feet long and all these hundreds of pounds, whatever they are. And I thought it was a damn killer whale. And I popped out of the water like a cork. Um, <laughs> and the dive master laughed at me. And, and then, you know, I, I did a lot of diving. And, and these things, the manatees are very friendly. They'll, they'll swim right up to you. They'll let you pet them. Um, you know, they, they, they suckle their young and, and they're, they're very friendly. Uh, there's nothing scary about them. Um, but when you see them, and when you, when you see an animal like this, I mean, yes, they have to breathe. And, and the way the deputy described it, uh, they were this this animal was struggling to breathe. And she did what she said was the right thing to do. I'll get in. She And if you look at the picture, she's in the water up to her shoulders, holding mm-hmm. this manatee's head up. And that manatee's probably, I'm guessing, about 
uh, 12 feet long, 10 to 12 foot manatee. Um, and the sad part is you can see some scars on this manatee's back. And those scars are probably from boat props because they're not right. smart enough to be afraid of the boats. And they end up getting cut, sometimes hurt pretty bad by by people trying to go see them, by, you know, the, the, the sightseers. Um, I prefer to do it in the water with them. Um, but they saved this manatee's life. Uh, that two-hour commitment was small price to pay in her mind, I'm sure, uh, until the wildlife folks could get there and do what needed to be done to uh, get this manatee back. Uh, capable of surviving on its own and able to breathe correctly. So, again, tip my hat to him. It's not, nobody wants to go to, to work and spend two hours in a uniform and she's in full uniform in the water, but that's what it took. Right. And that's what she did. Tip of the hat to them. No. And she, I believe she said after about an hour and a half or so, the, that's when the manatee started getting agitated, um, became a, a little more of a challenge, but again, kudos to her for that. Um, next story. Uh, this is out of Colorado. Uh, Again, uh, with the video footage, um, a Colorado State Patrol had uh, pulled over and arrested uh, a man for uh, reckless driving, and they had handcuffed him and placed him in the back of uh, the cruiser, and dash cam then video then captured him take basically wiggling out of his, uh, his handcuffs to the point where he could, they were, he was handcuffed behind his back. He was able to yoga position to get his, uh, his arms in front of him and his hands in front of him jumped behind the wheel of the cruiser and started a chase that ultimately ended up uh, with him in a fiery crash uh, dying. Um it, but uh, Frank, I mean, this isn't like they handcuffed uh, the suspect, you know, with his hands in the in front, and and he was able to um, easily get to the the you know front of the cruiser. This looks like um, they followed what they needed to. Well, to some extent, yes, and to some extent, no. And I'm not being critical of these officers in particular. Um, when I was in the police academy, I watched one of our instructors. We handcuffed him. He was doing a demonstration. We handcuffed him with his hands behind his back. He had double jointed shoulders and he rolled yeah. his arms up over his head in front of him and looked at us like, now what? Um, and there are people who are certainly flexible enough that, you know, until you get old and a little bit heavier, and I could do this easily when I was 155 pounds, handcuff me behind me and I could put my hands, I could hunch over, put my hands down past my butt and then pick my feet up. And, and you know, now my hands are in front of me. I step out of the handcuffs effectively. They're, now they're in front of me. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things we, we are trained to do and we try to do to prevent this from, um, I, I had one instructor who said, when you handcuff a guy, you hand, make sure one of the handcuffs is hooked through a belt loop in the back. That way he can't get mm. his in the front. Um, when you seat belt them, seat belt them so that the seat belt goes through around their body, through their arms and into the, the catch. So they can't get their hands in front of them because then the seatbelt's in the way. Well, it ain't that hard to push a button. And, you know, we, we try all kinds of tricks and, and things. At the end of the day, when you – and it's an unfortunate reality that we still have to because you have to, at times, due to circumstances, leave a suspect. You've handcuffed, you've searched, you put them in a car, and you have to turn your back on them and not have them under direct observation. And, unfortunately, that's really the only way to prevent stuff like this is to have somebody watching them constantly until you're on the road. Now, the sad part about this, uh, you know, the fatal crash is people forget uh, law enforcement gets about four times more driver training than everybody else. 
And I got to be honest with you, most people aren't good drivers anyway. So you take a guy who's a marginal driver and then you put him in a high performance vehicle and a high speed chase and he's going to lose control. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a foregone conclusion. He's not going to get away. He's going to lose control. And then, you know, you, you have a, you have a, a crash, unfortunately, in this case, it's fatal. Um, but, and I hate to sound cold-blooded, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Nobody did this to this guy. You know, his family will try to sue the police for, for not handcuffing him, right, or something stupid. But uh, at the end of the day, this guy made his own choices. He was under arrest. He chose to try to escape. He chose to try to steal a car. He chose to run. And he wasn't good enough to get away with it. Um, what can we learn from it? The things we've known for 20, 30 years. Direct observation is the only way to prevent it. Um, there, there's just no other way to guarantee somebody who's handcuffed can't get their hands in front of them or can't use their hands. And we, we see that it's a lot of, a lot of times we put people, you know, handcuffed in a car and they get out of the car, they steal the car, um, whatever it is, it's direct observations, the only tool available. And sometimes it's just simply impossible. We're going to, uh, wind up this episode on, um, on something a little fun, a little upbeat. Uh, this is out of Arkansas. Um, uh, veteran North Little Rock uh, police officer Tommy Norman is known around his community as someone who um, really tries to uh, make connections with the the people on his on his patrol and the department. Um, and video captured him uh, having some fun with uh, neighborhood kids. Um, unsuccessfully uh, executing a, a slip and slide and then uh, just being doused uh, with squirt guns um, by these kids uh, during a time uh, that Arkansas and parts of the South are seeing a sweltering heat wave. Um, but it it's just, um, it goes, again, we talk about, we've talked about how officers, you know, need to have the skills about water rescues and and uh, having to confront these gunmen. Here's a great look at some of the other important things they do and and frankly, you know, need to do, which is creating that connection with the community and and really um, creating relationships. Um, and it's good to see. You know, it's it's the video of the officer. It's, we say unsuccessfully <laughs> enjoyed the slip and slide. Slip and slides were made for people in bathing suits. The skin is what slides. Uh, this gentleman, God bless him, he's in full uniform. He ain't sliding anywhere. I should have, yeah, I should have mentioned that. Um, you know, there was a long time ago, and I, I gotta hate to say this, back in the late '80s, um, where I was working patrol, and uh, I tried to be community oriented, and I tried to be friendly with folks, and I kind of drew a limit because of body armor. If you got it wet, it, it had less of an effect. Um, it was less effective, I should say, and uh, I, I had a. a juvenile in the area I was working who thought it would be funny to come over and break a water balloon on me. Um, and I got, I got pretty angry in the moment. Um, I mean, it, to me, that was stepping across the line. I'll be here. I'll be friendly with you, blah, blah, blah. But I'm in uniform. And I, I was, I was that guy. I mean, I'd been in the army, you know, I, I, I held my own in the police academy. My shoes were always highly polished. My uniform was tailored. Everything was squared away looking. And now I got this huge wet spot. It looks like somebody peed in the middle of my chest. Um, 
you know, and it, it was very disturbing. And, and thank God we've got to a point. This guy's obviously he's taking his equipment off. He's not wearing body armor. It's 114 degrees out, for God's sake. He should be in a bicycle uniform <laughs> have more success uh, on the slip and slide. But, you know, these kind of relationships, we, we shouldn't just be seeing this on officer.com, Joe. We should be seeing this on CNN and MSNBC and all these other news networks. This should be shown uh, you know, rather than some sensationalistic thing that's going to increase tensions between police and public, this is the kind of thing that should be shown. This is what the parents should be showing their kids. All these parents out here that tell their children, you better behave or that police officer is going to lock you up. And they tell their kids that when the kids are two and three years old and uh-huh. I can tell them they need to talk to that child and explain to them, no, I'm there to help them. Um, right. Those kids need to be shown this video. And, you know, like, look, not all cops are like this. But, th- but a lot of us, a lot of us, we like to have fun. I would rather have fun all day with the community than fight a single crackhead. I mean, you, you, what, do you, what do you want to get paid to do? You want to get paid to enjoy the community and have great community relations and be there in case there's a problem? Or you want to go out and fight some idiot might put you in the hospital? I'd rather do this all day. And I think most officers would, and I don't think it gets the attention it should. So kudos to that officer. Um, maybe next time he wears something a little bit different when he's trying out that <laughs> slip and slide. Right. And uh, Officer Norman has been uh, on the force for 25 years, and he's also been um, using uh, social media to, you know, uh, spotlight these types of um, these types of cases where he's out in the community um, again, you know, drawing uh, departments and citizens together. Uh, That's. That's all for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, next week is July 4th, so we hope everyone enjoys the, their holiday. And fair warning to everybody, next week's lineup is going to be done by Joe and our editor, Paul Peluso. Uh, I'm going to be on vacation enjoying a very extended July 4th celebration. Um, so y'all have all been warned. You won't get my political incorrectness. You'll get the other two on the team. So, so new, uh, half of a, uh, new guest, uh, next week. And, um, again, uh, stay safe, uh, as you in- enjoy the holiday. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the lineup. Please remember the opinions voiced are not those of officer media group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.